the incomparable. Number 131, March 2013. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and this is an exciting episode, unlike most episodes of The Incomparable, where I sort of pick a topic, and it's a topic that pleases me, and and I I see if other people are interested in, in saying nice things or horrible things about the topic that pleases me. This is something that I've been calling John Syracuse Makes Us Watch Anime. And basically, I said to John, pick a couple of movies that you like, and I will watch them. And then we'll talk about them. And that's what happened. So joining me, of course, is John Syracuse. He is the ringmaster. He tells us what to watch. Uh, hi, John. Hello, Jason. I hope you were entertained. I was, but we'll get to that. Also joining me on this journey of watching uh, watching these two movies that uh, John instructed us to, the two people who took up the challenge are Tony Sindelar. Hi, Tony. Hi. Good to have you back. Boy, you're on all the time now. I, I don't know why. It's amazing. But here I am. Yeah, I reply to emails. It's dangerous. Yes, that's right. You have nothing better to do than be on the podcast. It's that kind of season in New England, you know, a lot of snowed in. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Maybe we lose all the New Englanders in the uh, in the summertime. Also uh, joining us is Lisa Schmeiser. Hi, Lisa. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you, as always. So our topic, it's two films by satoshi khan is that right john i googled for this before the show figuring someone we're gonna have to say this guy's name i want to know how to pronounce it i came up with nothing so i'm we should just pre preemptively apologize for what will undoubtedly be the terrible mispronunciation of every japanese person's every name every japanese yeah. person's name yeah we are sorry satoshi khan uh animated uh film director in japan uh, passed away in 2010 made four features and then some shows is that right john something like that something like that i haven't seen everything he's done but i've seen uh the well-known ones and uh we're going to talk about perfect blue made in 1997 and millennium actress made in 2001 i i watched these on an airplane as we were saying before the show um john said that might not be the best place to do it since at some point there are animated boobs <laughs> like oh god who saw the but nobody <laughs> saw it i was i was prepared i suspected there might be animated boobs at some point and there there were uh john uh, i imagine that you have opening remarks or would like to at least set the stage for this and then and then presumably we'll talk and then you'll reveal your true feelings at the end is that how this is going to work uh, I don't know. We'll see. I do have opening comments, but I think we can just talk about both the, all All right. the movies together as a group. That's excellent. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm always surprised at how few people in our rotating cast of uh, thousands on The Incomparable are into anime. We can find people who like books and fantasy novels and science fiction and television and movies, but no anime people. So, I mean, the, I think the genesis of this show is that, uh, you know, I, I wish we had more people to talk about anime with, and I... I wanted to pick some movies to throw at people who aren't necessarily big anime fans uh and then see what we have to to say about it so i picked these two movies in particular because i think they uh are interesting examples for people who are not uh, giant fans of anime first of all if you are a giant fan of anime you've already seen these movies it's like discussing star wars you know it's like not, maybe not that level but yeah. they're, they're very well known and popular right? we'd never do that on this right podcast. exactly you know um but the reason I picked these two is, one, they're by the same director, as you, as you noted. Uh, 
so we're kind of like holding one of the variables steady if we can. They both have female leads. Uh, they're both set in kind of a realistic world with, you know, certain fantasy elements only there by artistic license, kind of. Uh, they're not well known by non-anime fans. Did did Had you ever heard of these movies before I suggested them, Jason? Either one? No, never. Yeah, so not, not even just like title recognition. So that's why they're good. Yeah, these could have been fictional titles from that you made up. <laughs> right, yeah. Really. <laughs> uh, and... The final reason is they don't conform to the most commonly known anime stereotypes. If you don't know what anime is and someone says the word, what picture pops into your head? It's like, I don't know, like giant robots, schoolgirls in uniforms, yep. cute animals, brooding teenagers, magic monsters, giant eyeballs, blue hair. like All at once. Yes. That's uh, basically Star Blazers, really. Yeah. Do not, do not speak ill of the I Star love Blazers. Star Blazers. <laughs> I'm right. just saying, blue hair. Right. So, We're so, off to outer space. And then maybe a monkey. Yeah, no, that's Speed Racer. Mm. Yeah, and so that's what most people think of when they hear anime, and I wanted to counter that because I'm a fan of anime, but not so much a fan of the stereotypical anime. So that's why I picked these two movies, and I think they provide an interesting contrast to each other, uh, spoken about in this sequence and viewed one after the other. Yes. They do. I watched them back to back. Yes. Wow. It's, it's, a, it's kind of like a nice doubleheader. All right, mm-hmm. so that, that's, that, that, that's my opening. That's right. the idea behind this. I have to make a, a confession. I watch these movies in alphabetical order. <laughs> Jason, you're watching on a plane. You watched them in the wrong order. Well, we'll talk about them in the right order, and I think that will help yes, you. Yes, that, that'll be good. So Perfect Blue, which features uh, my favorite pop idol band of all time, Cham! Cham! <laughs> with an exclamation point. C-H-A-M! Exclamation point. Is the exclamation part part of the band name? Yes, yes. it is. I yeah. believe it is. It's in the titles and it's on their posters and it's yeah, in I Wikipedia. Gotta check out the uh the uh, id3 tag information on my uh, music collection to see if it's in there <laughs> oh man you you were the crazed uh fan who is very angry that mima left uh, the band aren't you yeah. are they better as a trio anyway so this this movie is about uh, a singer in a pop band that hasn't quite made it big they've been they're kind of small time named cham and mima quits the band to become an actress and she's in this tv show uh called double bind and she's got a small part uh and her fans and some of her management is kind of upset because is she giving up a good thing with this pop group to become a a uh, a, an actress um meanwhile her band which is now a duo actually gets on the charts with a song so she maybe feels some regret or does she and so that's that's sort of like the basic the basics of it, except there's a there's a stalker who has a website. Um, there's some really awesome performa and early uh, worldwide web yeah. stuff in this movie. <laughs> OS nine. Yeah, explaining what websites are to people. Save that. I want to. I want to have an in depth discussion about that towards the, when, we, when we transition. Because I've got some screenshots. Of, a key part of this yeah. movie. Yeah. How you explain the internet to people in 1998? Yeah. yeah. One of the reasons I wanted you to watch this movie first was because of the opening scene, which is a misdirect. I don't know if you remember it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, it, this. It's got the robot battle at first. Both of these movies start with a misdirect. Yes. That's right. Th- I mean, that that are are a, a hat tip to what you'd expect from an anime movie. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so you've got well, the, certainly the first one with the Power Rangers and everything like that. And if you come oh, yeah. in, like the title tells you nothing. Like you said, what the heck does Perfect Blue mean? It means nothing to you going in, even if you see know that it's a you know the plot you just summarized. What does that have to do with Perfect Blue? Who knows? And you see the people singing, uh, and they run out on stage, and then then it 
you know, to their little catchy J-pop song and everything, and everyone's happy in their little pink dresses and stuff. Uh, and then it kind of goes discordant and fades to white, and it's kind of like ominous, which is not what you would expect from starting with Power Rangers, then J-pop people, then kind of like a weird white fade, the music goes away, and it's kind of like scary, right? So three things within like the first 30 seconds of this movie or the first o- opening sequence, I think, are... Not what people expect uh, from anime, anime, but what I really like about anime, because you can do anything you want with animation. Yeah, I think my wife uh, looked over at my iPad while I was watching the first 30 seconds of this, and I believe she actually rolled her eyes. And I thought, no, I'm not watching a Power Rangers movie. John wouldn't have done that to Mis- me. Misdirect, misdirect. It's not what it's about. Yeah, exactly. But exactly. it does touch on something that I really like about this movie, because um, I feel like it gives you an excellent snapshot of pop culture life in, in, in Japan in the, in the late 1990s. You have pop idols who have to ride elevated trains everywhere because they're not rolling in big bucks. You've got this fan culture that seems to be as much about scoring points on each other as, as it is actually being fans of something. You've got these websites that are kind of early, they're, they're almost like early social media. I, I, I felt like I got to eavesdrop on on a picture of another culture, and that was actually a huge drop of the movie for me, where all the little quotidian details that go into the entertainment that keeps Japan, um, you know, amused. I always have, like, a Westerner's fascination with anime, because, like, mm-hmm. pretty much everything I know about Japan has been from watching anime. And, like you said, the boring things will... I mean, I, I feel like people in Japan don't get this experience of anime uh, because the boring things will be fascinating to me, like just how people live in the little tiny apartments and the grocery shopping sequence. appliances. When, and when, the grocery when she shopping. picks a specific brand of milk, she, milk and, it's enough they can com- and they can comment on it. Yeah. And that got mm-hmm. me thinking about like the square watermelons that were grown for the Japanese market so that, yeah. well, they did. They did grow square watermelons because you could stack them more efficiently in the small spaces. And there's always the question in my mind is how much of the stuff in this movie is made up? How much mm-hmm. is an exaggeration of a stereotype, <laughs> and how much is just a plain, boring, accurate depiction of Japanese life? But to me, it's like it's all—it's all of a piece, and it's like, wow, this is amazing. And you never know. Wait a second, mm-hmm. like, it, would a Japanese person say, "No, we don't actually live like that"? You crazy person. That's not. It's just made up. <laughs> or would they say, "Yeah, what do you care? It's a rice cooker. What's the big deal?" You know what I mean? Like, it's so hard yeah. to separate the, the, uh, the fact from reality. But I—that—that that is definitely a draw of watching Japanese animation. That the boring stuff in the movies is fascinating to me. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And that, that was a big reason I kept paying attention. Um, I saw the movie back in the 1990s when it first came out. And um, I remember that as I watched it again this time out, too. So uh, I don't think I qualify as an anime fan, but I have watched I, I, I do watch it here and there. Um, Ghost in the Shell was one of my favorite movies in the late 90s. Um, John, I think you and I had a discussion about a series called um, Serial Experiment Lane. Yes, not a big fan of that one. I like that one. I like that one. I feel like we could have a debate about that. But um, when I went back and rewatched, I didn't like this movie that much in the 1990s. But when I went back and watched it on Saturday, I really could appreciate how tightly written it is. Because he, he, he has his little thematic loop that he keeps returning to over and over again about how much of your identity is internal versus how much of it is, is thrust upon you. And he just keeps returning to that leitmotif over and over again. And when you're 21 years old and you've just made a major career move and that career happens to be in the public eye, those questions are amplified. And I was kind of blown away by the cleverness of the plotting and and the character uh, work that he did this time around, whereas it just kind of slid off my brain the last time I watched it. Yeah, you know, I... I, um, I have some issues with this movie. I liked it, but I do have some issues with it. Um, I think there's a, it's a very there's a strange period where 
she where Mima is um doing her early acting and and I I I felt like we were all supposed to be a little more uh concerned about her well-being than I actually was. I felt like what? What's the big deal? She's going to be an actress now. It's fine. Let her be an actress, right? And and that that seemed for a while there I was just like why is this you know, the pop group wasn't even that successful. Why? You why did, you is... didn't feel her angst and her doubt about what is this the right thing to be doing? No, no I, I thought that she was. I thought she, actually for a while, I thought she was handling it better than everybody around yeah, her. Yeah, no, right? she definitely she definitely was. That's I think that's I think the the perform. And it's hard to talk about performances in a movie because these aren't actors; they're their drawings, right? But I think the performances that they give these characters in the movie are actually extremely subtle and complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, precisely for that reason, because like, you know, she, she's, she seems like she's a determined person. She's leaving this group. She's going to go do this other thing. And as you said, everyone else is all flipping out about it, but she's like, no, this is what I have to do. I'm just going to go forward and do it. And you're wondering like, is, you know, is, is she really as confident as she's putting on or does she have some sort of doubts? And I think that the movie does a good job of breaking that down slowly so as she starts to come apart. It's not yeah. like, oh, she's just, you know, crazy from, from the get-go and doesn't know what's going on. Like, she she seems like a normal person doing the right thing. And that's exactly who you want to see be, I think, in peril in a movie like this. Like, a good person doing what they're supposed to do, but uh, situation conspires to, you know, fantastical situation right. conspires to put her, uh, you know, in danger. She's the John. She's an emotional John McClane of this movie. <laughs> what a parallel! Uh, the cultural metaphor that I think kind of kind of encapsulates it, um, and this goes back is um, last season on Sons of Anarchy. You had an actress named Ashley Tisdale portraying a hooker, and which again, it's Sons of Anarchy, so it's kind of wall to wall horrors. But um, the big deal about Ashley Tisdale was she was in a boatload of the High School Musical movies, and and was a Disney kid, and the image was squeaky clean. And oh my God, now she's playing a hooker on an FX drama. And I kind of got the idea that maybe there was that that discomfort with a squeaky clean oh, yeah. Adoru being yeah. transposed into an overtly sexual role. And people were, were, I'm not sure how to handle this person who was exercising free agency over her career. And Mima herself may have been ambivalent about it because, let's face it, when you go from putting on a little dress and dancing to an audience to being gang raped in a nightclub... Um, you are probably going to ask a few questions about whether or not the direction you're going in is really the right one. Yeah, I, I, and and by the time it gets to that point, it makes sense. I guess what I'm saying is that is that she seems very centered for that for, oh, yeah. from the beginning, and everybody around her seems so far the other way that it seemed really weird for me that they were they were so far apart. I think mm. I think that's a little bit of the culture of uh, you know these idol singers that like the fandom around them. I think it's part also part of the reason that she wanted to get out of that. The right. fandom around them is so insane, uh, you know, right down to the, the the management and the people. You know, like there are yeah. some hard nosed yes. people who are like look, she's going to be an actress. What she's got to do, that's it. And, you know, but everyone else in her life, like she, she's escaping. You know, that, that's why she seems ambivalent when when the two when the two people she left start to become successful. He's like, well, you know, yeah. maybe I should have gone with him, whatever. But on the other hand, I'm also kind of glad to be out of that situation. Yeah, I like, yeah. I liked that moment actually, where she's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's fine. I'm doing this now. This is the right. This is the right thing for me to do. I, yeah. I so so another thing I want, I want to bring up that's in that first scene when they're when she announces her departure is the way that the uh, the guy who I guess we call me mania, me me yeah. yeah, yeah, his uh, the stalker he, he is drawn, which is like his yes. eyes are so far w- apart that you know He's they're like on, in his yeah. temples, 
And we frequently we see only one eye, right? His face is obscured by right. his hair. It's and they're very like kind of haunting black eyes and weird yeah. teeth. And he's a super creepy, almost like deformed face guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I thought that was really strange too. That that and there's a reason I you know it's it, it was clear to me at the beginning that that this guy was really obviously creepy and a stalker and that there was probably a reason why he was so obviously creepy and a stalker because otherwise you'd try to conceal him a little bit more mm-hmm. but i still i i found it i found it disturbing and yet also really strange that he was so weird from the beginning it's a convention of anime apparently it's called gonk g o n k and uh, the idea is that you're so that you're supposed to be absurdly ugly and um, you do it deliberately and without subtlety. And it's supposed to be a, a signifier to character and plot development. Mm. But that, that gets, I think I gets back to the animation style of this movie, yeah. because like the, the style, it's not the gigantic heads with eyes that take up two thirds of the surface and spiky blue hair. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. on the other hand, like if I had to categorize it, Oh, this is like, this is realistic animation. The people have the proportions of human beings. Their arms and legs are the correct length. Their heads are the more or less the correct size in proportion to their bodies. Uh, so you're like, oh, it's just, you know, it could almost be rotoscope, right? It's realistic. But mm-hmm. it's not because if you look at the people, I mean, he's the most obvious example. But if you look at any of them, mm-hmm. they are not actually correctly proportioned. They fool mm-hmm. you into thinking you're watching a world with regular people. But the, the trick of the animation is, you know, really their eyes are a little bit bigger than they should be. And, you know, there's very few lines making up them. that You know, it's it's more expressive than, than it would be if it was rotoscoped or if it was CG or something like that, because the things that they draw can't exist in real life. So this, if you tried to make mm-hmm. a CG version of that, of the me mania guy, it would mm-hmm. just be, it would take you out of the movie. <laughs> it would break math. <laughs> it also right. kind of, it adds to how unsettling he looks, right? Is that the other mm-hmm. character, especially we frequently see him in crowd scenes, right? And the mm-hmm. other characters he's around are kind of generic or normal looking, right? And he is, he is kind of the most, cartoony of, yeah. of the, i mean the, the, even just like the other characters. fans like the sort of the more benign fans who yes. objectify or nevertheless uh but mm-hmm. still are at least not overtly crazy they look strange too like they become more character like this is uh, in satoshi kon's uh movies there's a lot of the you know the people you look at one person you're like oh it's a normal person but if you go down if you lined up all the characters you'd be like wow now we're really getting into caricatures over there it's almost like looney tunes type thing but it's a, it's a gradual uh a gradation I wish they hadn't made him so ugly because I felt like that really tipped the hand early on. Um, yeah. Since this movie does rely on a surprise, we're going to end up playing the spoiler horn, but since the movie does rely on a surprise twist to, 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 to try and explain everything that goes on, I felt that if you have somebody who looks so obviously sinister and behaves in such an obviously unhinged way, because he's the first one to draw blood in that movie, yep. um, mm-hmm. then you know, you're know you sort of broadcasting, here be a villain. Whereas if it's somebody who's deceptively normal looking, um, I forget the name of the pornographer character, but what was... Um, the photographer guy? Yeah, yeah, the photographer slash pornographer. One of the one of the things I thought was interesting was the way he casually holds out his hand and an assistant puts in another camera and he just keeps the moment yep. going. and. And it's obvious he's doing a job and he has no qualms about the way he's packaging and marketing Mima. And I actually thought that was a little bit spookier and creepier than, you know, internet, walleye internet loner runs website. Well, that's, so. that's kind of like the thing. Well, she would, you know, they, they make a point of emphasizing her objectification as the pop idol. And she wants to be like a serious actress, but then just ends up falling back into the same trap. It's like, I guess this is what I kind of have to do. But on the other hand, now here I am doing these things that she, you can tell she's not 
as comfortable with as she would like to be. And that's that's eventually leads to her breakdown is that, that like she was trying to, uh, you know, escape that world. When she she has that quote where she says, well, a lot of people have gone to a lot of effort for me to do this. I don't want to let them down. And you can tell she really resents that, too, at the same time. Um, yeah, because she's not doesn't want to be, you know, it's the, the whole I, I have to please my superiors and, and betters and, mm-hmm. the, and the males in my life kind of thing that she's yeah. falling back into. There's, there's a lot. I mean, for a movie that's as exploitive of, you know, people look at this, oh, you know, Japanese movie with these pop stars and they're going to be naked and they're going to be beautiful. And, and they and they are. Right. And, and they mm-hmm. are. But it like I think it does an excellent job of, of you know, using that to good effect. And I think I think the nudity in the movie is a. Uh, a good example of that because there, there's a lot of it relative to, you know, most non non adult anime, I would guess. Uh, but it's always used in a way that conveys the plight of of Mima and uh, being photographed. Like the viewer is made to feel uncomfortable, yeah. not titillated. Yes, right. Oh, and yeah. oh, and just incredibly well done. Like I, very rarely have I seen nudity in, in live action movies that has made me feel as uncomfortable as the animated nudity in this movie, which is exactly what it's supposed to do. Like they don't, they don't try to have it both ways. They don't try to say, "Oh, you're going to be titillated," and no, it's mostly just entirely uncomfortable and terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I'm laughing is I just like it's terrible. <laughs> I, I like the. Um, I also like the way that the the uh, rape scene is handled, where it's it's the shooting of a rape scene. It's not a rape. It's a shooting of a rape scene in a TV show, and so you have them preparing to be on camera and then there's action and then the action happens and then they cut and then they're out of character again and 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 then they let's do it again which really gets there's something about that 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 it's the you know it's this work and it's it's not horrible unto itself it's it's horrible in this context of of these scenes that they're doing and there's a really great moment where the where the the rapist uh actor leans leans down to her and says i'm sorry about this she's like it's fine but it, it's it's uh that's a great moment yeah every, everyone's trying to be professional but i think the scene does a great job of saying look no matter how professional you try to be it's still a difficult thing to do for yeah. an actress so like this is this is applying you know this this is a stressful situation for her and it's a difficult thing to do and it's her first time doing it even though everyone involved is professional and trying to do things the right way or whatever it's you know it's not easy and I, this all builds to having a realistic breakdown of this character who is not a flake, is not a weak-willed, uh, right. is doing the right thing, but nevertheless, the, these crazy situations conspire to uh, uh, to uh, finally break her down. This writer, by the way, um, the, whoever, the the writer of this of this movie loves uh, must love Jodie Foster because <laughs> there are th- like at least three aspects of Jodie Foster that have all been rolled together here. Because the plot of Double Bind is essentially the Silence of the Lambs, it seems. Because there's a serial killer who's taking women's skin off because he mm-hmm. wants to be a woman. Yeah. There's uh, the rape scene, which is they, they even directly referenced, uh, is uh, what Jodie Foster did in The Accused, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, the uh, no nobody knows what it's like to have a horrible murderous stalker than Jodie Foster. Uh, because John Hinckley was basically her stalker and then shot Ronald Reagan. So I thought that was kind of interesting too, that it's, but, but, but Mima gets it all at once. <laughs> Yay. Good, good luck with that. And she doesn't handle it well, which is not surprising, but. Yeah, so, so my favorite, my favorite part of this movie is, but they've done all this work and they've built up this situation. Oh, and by the way, the, the obviousness of the, the Mimania stalker thing, 
I like that aspect. And another reason I recommended this movie to new people is that if you go in thinking anime is going to be dumb, you'll be like, oh, this is dumb. It's going to be that guy. Right? <laughs> you guys are a little bit too smart for that. But yep. like, like, it's another nice misdirect because there are plenty of, you know, a, Lifetime movies where the creepy stalker guy is the creepy stalker guy for the whole movie, yeah. the whole movie, and that you know that's just what it is, right? This is not the case in this one. But anyway, I, I love when this all comes together and they start doing that sequence where she's losing it, uh, and they start intercutting her scenes in whatever work that she's doing with her life in such a way that the first time I watched this, uh, I actually did find myself questioning what I had previously understood to be the reality of this movie, which is what they're trying to make you do. And normally like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too smart for that. They're not going to get it. But I'm like, well, wait a second. Like they, they cut back and forth and the, the lines in the movie are such a perfect fit for possible explanations of this crazy person who thinks that she was a pop star and actress. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, and they cut back and forth to her real life and her movies, uh, without holding your hand and and without dumbing it down and without like trying to make sure everyone follows along. If you go back and look at it, it's all completely legitimate and they're not cheating and it's not, you know, whatever, but it really does mess you up. And so there's like a, a center part of this movie where I get lost. Even watching it multiple times, you start to get lost. Even though I know, you know, what is the actual reality, you start to get lost a little bit. And that I think I haven't felt in a live action movie in, in the longest time where they trust the audience enough to, intentionally confuse them without using a cheat to convey what the, what the character is feeling and it's not done with like really fast cuts or special effects or dramatic music it's just scene after scene you're like wait a second because because what, what you're doing is since the movie is like this the whole way doesn't hold your hand doesn't uh have like tons of excessive exposition uh the creators assume you're not dumb you are paying attention and so when you're paying attention, when they start to do that, you're like, wait a second, I'm going to figure this movie out. Okay, so uh. so this now, really, she's just a crazy person the whole time, and she thinks she's a pop star, but then that's the reality. And this is, the, you know, uh, which is not actually the case. It's also another case of a misdirect. Uh, but <laughs> I, 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 love the, I love that payoff of uh, them having earned that, that confusing middle section of the movie before we, uh, we barrel towards the big finish. Yeah, I, I guess we, we should, if we haven't gotten to it yet, we should at least officially blow the spoiler horn here. You should probably watch this movie before you listen to the rest of the podcast. Uh, or just, you know, suck it up. It's it's just the way it is. It, this movie's been out a long time. You should have watched it already. Yeah. It's been out for 16 years. Yeah, so. Jason, why haven't you watched this movie? I know, exactly. <laughs> uh, I did. I have watched it, John. I know all, all right. about it. So, um Here's the thing. I want to talk about the internet and fandom because I think that's an important part of this movie and 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 I want to talk about it a little bit plus Macintosh Performa. It's awesome. But before we get there, also, <laughs> did you notice that there's some other technology product that's kind of like got a fake name in the movie? It's like, I don't know whether it's like a Sony or an HP or something like that, but there's something and it's faked up, but the Apple box is rendered immaculately. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Um, no, I want to talk about the... Um, the the sequence that ends up with with the reveal of who is what's really going on here because what it felt like to me i loved the playing with fantasy and reality where we think we're watching her life but it's actually the uh the show she's on and you know and we wonder if she's going crazy uh, you know and sometimes she's confused is it the show i'm on or yes. is this my real life right exactly i like i like that but there so there's the sequence of scenes where she wakes up in her bedroom and crazy things happen and then she wakes up in her bedroom again mm. and then crazy things happen and then she wakes up in her bedroom again and i felt like that went on too long i felt like i and and here's my theory my theory is 
that the filmmakers were so concerned about smart audience members figuring out right away <laughs> that her uh, the manager's assistant was actually a kind of a crazy stalker because she's the one who has access to the information that's on the website and all that. I has mean, access to the apartment. She's the one who has a breakdown every time. I mean, if you yeah. watch it the second time, right. it is so obvious. Yeah. You're like, how did oh, I yeah. not see this? Well, <laughs> I, I saw I saw it the first time. So my theory is that they did the reality spinning stuff again and again and again and again to make it so kind of crazy and confusing that you lose track of the thing that you you thought at the beginning which is which is what happened to me and so then when the the assistant is revealed to actually be a crazy stalker who then i was like oh yeah right from what i thought earlier but i just i just thought it was too much i thought i thought that it, that that little kind of like whirl, whirly gig of of crazy is it real or is it not went on like a little too long like they were trying a little too hard to just you know, put a blindfold on the audience and spin them around a few times till they were dizzy. It's not, it's not actually that long. You should watch that section a second time because it's pretty darn tight, I think. Were the fish alive? Were the fish dead? Were the fish alive? Were the fish dead? The, the first one I was like, okay, this is cool. And, and when she wakes up again, I'm like, ha, that's funny. And then when they did it the third time, I thought, eh, yeah, okay. I, I thought it, it, I got gave, it. it gave a good feeling of like day in, day out kind of thing, like where, you know, Day after day, she finds herself waking, like, kind of like an alcoholic blacking out where you find yourself back, or like Groundhog Day, you find yourself back again, and each day you go through it, and it gets worse, and it gets less coherent uh, as time goes on. They, they they cut out one of those, it wouldn't have been, like, the fish, that's, the, the signifier fish. they used was a little bit weak, because they're, <laughs> again, they're relying on you to remember the state of the fish, and what does it mean that they're alive, and you'd immediately put together that if they're alive, it's a recreation, you know, like, uh, they could have used something else for that, but I... I I like that there was no explicit exposition uh, that, I mean, because they had built everything up, they don't have to explain to you because you're like, oh, well, that makes sense then. Yes. We, you know, it's not, it's not a cheat and it's not out of nowhere. And it's not the character that had one line in the movie. It's the one that it makes totally sense that it would be the one who was hysterical crying when she decided to do the nude scene and all that stuff. Like she was nuts from the beginning of the movie. Yep. And if you didn't see it, like you didn't see it for the same reason that Mima didn't see it because you just view her as the assistant as like a side character. And it's like, oh, she's just there to help me, whatever, you know? Uh, but she should be, pay more attention to the people yeah. around her a little. Anyway, that that was my feeling is that there was a little too much of that, and it was, I think, just trying to get enough of a misdirect so that when that twist came later on, you would have you you were off of the first thing. At least that's how it played for me because, you know, it just yeah that was it pushed it a little too far for for my taste. I thought they were trying a little too hard. Yeah, you know, and unlike like the Sixth Sense, I think once you know the twist of this movie, it doesn't become less entertaining. Like it's not rely like the twist. It's it's fine. It's there. It it is what it is. Uh, but it's the, the strength of the movie is not in that part. It's in all. It's in the characterization and the way things yeah. unfold. Like like I said, yeah. I, I like the fact that it was kind of realistically animated and like you can imagine the way I used to describe this movie. This is probably inaccurate because I haven't seen enough Brian De Palma movies. But I used to say it's like a Brian De Palma movie shot in anime. Uh, because you could make a live action version of this movie. Like the the fantasy elements are are only fantastical in terms of mental breakdown type of things. You know what I mean? Like you could you could do it in live action. It's it plays straight and fair, uh, and it's a, a reasonably well structured thriller, if a little bit conventional. But the details of it are what really make it. Oh my gosh! The the I would love to see a live action effect of the uh, imaginary. Uh... Yeah, leaping from mm -hmm. leaping from streetlight street to streetlight street because that that is that is an image it's that will creepy. haunt your dreams. Yes, I, yeah. it's wonderful. 
I think it would make a good live action movie, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it was supposed to be before the funding yeah. fell through. Wasn't that the yeah. story there? Right. So, That's yeah. according to Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. And Wikipedia is never wrong. Never so. wrong. <laughs> so, uh, can we talk about the the uh, performa, which is set up in the movie by the <laughs> by the stalker? Believe it or not, that's one another reason that I recommended this movie because the best anime is created by obsessive people, and the the per, the most perfect example in this movie is that incredibly obsessive depiction of a Macintosh performer fifty three hundred. Can't tell if it, what the exact moment <laughs> and, and set and the setup of same and the box and the whole thing. And now imagine imagine me watching a movie not knowing anything about it, but chosen for me specifically by John Syracuse and a Macintosh performer appears. I. I had to pause the movie on the airplane to laugh and laugh and laugh until tears came down my face. I mean, did you see it? Like every part of that was right. Like, oh yeah, the startup screen. Yeah. Oh, it was so nice to see that startup screen again. The hardware itself, the menu bar. I think the sound was wrong a little bit, but that was it. Yeah. It was well, the people drawing it don't control the sound. No, the exactly. menu bar with the little icons in it, the finder, folder oh, yeah. labels, uh, the Netscape contemporary version Netscape. of Netscape splash yes. screen, the UI. And here's the thing that, that drives me nuts about you know regular live action movies, right? They have live action movies with the actual real computer in it. Like it'll be like an actual real Macintosh, <laughs> and they still don't look as realistic as this drawing because they put crazy stuff on the screen, and the mouse is from like a PS2 or something. And you have like, what are you doing? You have the real computer. Whereas these guys just have a pen and a paper, and they said, no, we're going to get this exactly right. Every single part of that, you know, real URLs. She looks on the paper as oh, an yeah. actual URL. It's not something with like backslashes instead of slashes <laughs> and some crazy like it's. It, you know, it's not hard to do, but it's just so amazing to see it. And, like, same thing with the, the other things. You see the coffee maker or the, the supermarket or the stuff that we don't recognize as authentic because we don't know what the real things are. But that obsessive attention to detail is what makes great anime great. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, little things like that, you know, all up to the big things. I, I I just love it. I mean, I'll be I'll be honest. Of course I was going to notice the Mac. But I did also obsessively notice the uh, all the labels of uh, the prices on the shelves in the supermarket. So it wasn't just the yes. it wasn't oh, just yes. the performer, but the performer, you know, a really funny really funny detail. Um but also what it says, the idea that she has to explain what Rumi has to explain to Mima how the internet works essentially and and how it's a homepage basically. It's a website for right. this uh for for uh her fans. Um and and then she sees that there are these posts that are allegedly by her that know details of her life but aren't her. And that's how she begins to wonder if she's going crazy because she doesn't say these things and yet they're accurate, right? They're mm-hmm. down to down to detail, which is super creepy. Until they're not. Until they're yeah. not. Psychotic break. <laughs> yeah. They're the life she wants she has. One of the saddest little lines is when she reads the uh, reads, reads her site and goes, Oh, I guess I went to Harajuku today, and you can tell she has no recollection of it, and she's mm-hmm. kind of sad that that. Oh, I guess I did this, and she's just so beaten down and resigned to the fact that somebody else is 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 eavesdropping on her life and and marketing it, and it's it's a further symptom of her madness. Where or she oh, didn't do that at all. I always read that as like maybe she didn't do that, and now she's no. I always figured. I always assumed that she didn't, and the. Um, assistant went to harajuku and bought the clothes so that way when she did the killing she could then drop it off and there would be the plant there would be the seed of doubt in mima in mima's mind right so mm-hmm. if she ever got arrested for it she could be like well i i guess i went to harajuku and she would she would doubt her own veracity right i mm-hmm. mean that that woman was crazy like a fox 
Well, she was. She was. Yeah, that's yeah. another thing that you can do in, in anime. Like, I had, I had a whole section here that about, like, since this movie should be done, it could be done in live action. Why? What's the point of doing an animation? Like, wouldn't wouldn't it be better in, in live action? And and I actually love animation. I think there's things you can do in animation that I like so much better than live action. Mm-hmm. And one of them is in the final scene where it's revealed that Rumi is the, uh, you know, the crazy person. When... Uh, when we see Rumi as she sees herself, it looks like a, a blood red uh, clothed mm-hmm. version of Mima. But right. sometimes we see like her reflection or we see her as she actually is. It yep. looks totally different. And I guess you could do that with two different actors in the movie or whatever. But it just yeah. think, things like that, you know, the, the fantasy elements that you can do when you draw things. Uh, it's all so much of a piece. Like, I, like computer animation is the one I always go to. It's oh, you can do anything in computer animation. Like there's no limits. It's, you know, whatever your imagination. But even more so than with computer animation, with a blank piece of paper, you can really do anything. And there's no, like, there's no black holes, like, where, you, oh, you want to do, like, liquids or, or, you know, skin or, like, certain things that are really hard that it's like, well, that's a whole big deal. And you have to, you know, sink a disproportionate amount of time and effort into this one thing. Because you just you get a guy with a pencil and they can literally draw anything. And to, and to restrain yourself and draw the world around you exactly as you see it, but to only embellish it just the right moments in just the right way to make it creepy or surreal or whatever is, is what I love about uh, this this style of animation, this sort of more realistic style, while still showing the flair that you can't really have in live action. I absolutely concur. There was a movie out about Marilyn Monroe called Norma Jean and Marilyn, where um, Mira Sorvino played the Marilyn Monroe part, and Ashley Judd played the Norma Jean part, and watching those two have scenes together where it was Marilyn having her, her am I crazy moments. It was It was horrible. It was a horrible, awkward movie to watch, and I felt bad for everyone involved. <laughs> So we should we should move on. So before we do that, and we should sum up uh, sum up our experience here. How did everybody how did everybody feel? What's the final verdict of this in the end? I don't think I'd recommend it to somebody who's um, not already on the nerdly spectrum. Yeah. But <laughs> but but that's just me because a lot of the things I think we were talking about are things that we kind of twig to because of obsessive natures or geeky natures. Um, my husband's a big fan of noir, and I still wouldn't recommend this to him. I, I don't hmm. think, well, I think that the things that we liked about it, like John said, you've got a medium where you can do these fantastical things and they're perfectly aesthetically consistent and plausible in the frame of the movie. I think that might actually be a turnoff to, to some people. Mm-hmm. But did you like it? That's what we want to know. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I liked it a lot better than the first time I saw it, which, which I actually consider something of a victory. <laughs> Tony, what about you? Uh, I also enjoyed it. I had also seen it. 10 or 11 or 12 years ago uh but did not remember it very strongly um i mainly remembered i I remember that it had a twist in it but i did not remember what the twist was (laughs) you're an old person now it's new to you yeah you know i also remembered that also it had disturbing visuals after the twist which may have been part of why i did not (laughs) cling to those memories i knew that somebody was gonna get like impaled on like you know a giant shard of glass so spoiler um that <laughs> that stuck with me oh the Didn't shard of glass is nothing that the the whatever screwdriver uh ice pick stabbing <laughs> you know what? Or... i chose i chose not to retain that but yeah that 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 isn't so good either i don't know there was something about the falling on the pane of glass even yeah, though i guess that, she's okay I think that was more disturbing yeah that that yeah relatively um, speaking yeah i mean <laughs> physically at least she was intact um but yeah i i enjoyed it i think it works well as kind of a thriller um I'm not sure if I would recommend it to somebody kind of seeking out anime just because it's it's it is relatively different from a lot of other anime it's, I've it's watched. It's challenging. Um, it's much more challenging. Yeah. Um 
And so I, I, it kind of does work as that. I mean, it is, you know, a very kind of grown up adult movie as opposed to other anime that may have adult themes to it, but also is, can still have kind of be kind of more aimed at like a teenager kind of audience. So, yeah, yeah I, I thought it was okay. I, 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 because I watched in alphabetical order, it was difficult because this is not as good a movie as the other one, I think. But anyway, we'll, oh, we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll get there. It gets better as he ages, you see. This is a young man's movie. Full of vim and vigor. Yeah, yeah. Hey, every, nobody loves um, pop idols more than me. Um, I have a website. Maybe you've seen it. And the, but the, uh, you know, like I said, I, 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 weird, weird stalker way he's drawn, and obviously the bad guy. And then I kind of picked up on the, on the, on the assistant being involved early on, and. You know, I it, it was fine. It was fun. I I enjoyed the, um, I enjoyed that reality fantasy blurring of the of the show within the show, the the TV series, and how they changed the arc of the show when she becomes mm-hmm. successful uh, to make it more about her as the sister who's confused and doesn't know reality from fantasy, which is hilarious because we're also seeing the reality and fantasy of her own life. Um, so it's like they've written her life into the plot and that makes it extra confusing for her. I, you know, there is a lot to like about it. I, 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 I don't know. I, I, so I, I guess I go along with, uh, with, uh, Tony and Lisa that, that I liked it. Um, I've got some, I've got some issues with it. I suppose I really love the early days of the web, uh, fans mm-hmm. interacting with the, with the, the famous people might, there might be issues there. Hmm. That was, that was prescient. <laughs> Well, I mean, it really, this was 1997, so you're yeah. like, oh, isn't this retro? No, that was contemporary. That yeah. was, that was, you know, pretty much. Uh, and the beautiful thing about that is that she actually explains it correctly. You, yeah. you put the you around the location bar. Those are real words. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, she she may be a crazy stalker, but she knows how to use her Mac. Yeah, yeah. That's how she becomes the crazy stalker. Yeah, yeah she's she's very practiced maintaining that site. Yeah, you know, so she's got it all figured out. So here's here's what you do, Jason. Wait ten years, watch the movie, and then apparently it improves. <laughs> I, I think it actually does benefit from like because I had watched it, you know, when it was originally released in '97 and really liked it, and it saw it a few more times. And then coming back to it, I'm like, well, this is going to be played out. Uh, like you know, I've seen this movie before. It's kind of a one trick pony. I've seen it. It's not gonna. It's not going to be affecting. I'm not going to be caught up with it. It's going to kind of be. But uh, it, it got me again, and I, I was able to notice more nuances. This is not a movie that's really about the story. It's not about the twist. It's more. It's more about the emotion, and if mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe I'm reading more into it than is there, which is a typical thing with anime, especially when it's uh, it's dubbed, because I can imagine that the performances that I don't understand are incredibly uh, moving and heartfelt, and, and really maybe just someone reading lines, I can't tell. Uh, but it, it got me again. It, it wrapped me up in it. But I, I agree that the Millennium Actress is a better movie. Chum! <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Well, let's move on to Millennium Actress 2001. Opening misdirection, the surprise. Oh, yeah. Yes, this is this is something almost out of space, nineteen ninety nine, where it's there's a moon base with a uh, a uh, uh, a little sort of uh, shall we say flower petal style. Mm. Well, that's important. Nothing gets past you, Jason. That's important. <laughs> uh, a little opening, and uh, sh- the woman has to go and and leave and no but you can't go out there and she leaves in in the rocket and you're thinking again what is this that i'm watching and it turns out that it is we cut to a guy 
watching it on TV and he says, this is always my favorite part. And it turns out that he and a cameraman are going to interview this famous actress who worked mostly in the what? Forties and fifties up through from the forties to sixties, thirties to spanning world war two. Yeah. Yeah. Spanning. She she starts during world war two and she stops pretty much when she's in her forties. So up to the, almost the seventies, I think, because that that kind of space movie wouldn't have been made any time right. before nineteen seventy. Yeah, well, like I said, it looks it's very space nineteen ninety nine. Um, oh yeah, and, and and they are going to get a rare interview with her. Um, so it's it's him and the cameraman, and uh, and they go to her her house, and um, and she comes out and says, "I think you you have something. You said you had something for me," and he gives her a key. And she's taken aback by this and quite shocked. It's the rosebud moment of the yeah. movie, basically. He, yeah. He's so he's and she talks about her garden and how she loves the flowers. And his production company, we learn, is also called Lotus. Is that right? Yes. Which is the flower that she grows. And she says, "Oh, that's funny. I grow those flowers." And he says, "I know, but <laughs> he's not, not a creepy stalker. Not in a creepy stalker. Not way. in a creepy way. In a fanboy way. Yeah, he's a total. He's a huge fan of hers. Who has who is now interviewing her for a documentary about her life, basically." Um, and she begins to tell her story of this this uh, famous actress, um, and it's told in flashback. And so for a while, you're thinking, "Okay, I get I get where this is going. I've seen movies like this." And then a funny thing happens, <laughs> which is the interviewer and cameraman are in the flashback as if they're recording the flashback for their oh, documentary, yeah. and thus mm-hmm. begins Millennium Actress, where reality and fantasy. You may have you may have just heard us talk about this for another movie <laughs> are blurred and uh and and uh it's fascinating because they're interacting in her flashback while also obviously cut to she's telling them the story and it's kind of delightful in the way that it's not your usual you know flashback with you know ripple dissolve to black and white of here's what happened instead they're like commenting on and and kind of like chasing the characters around through the flashbacks and then it gets it gets even weirder <laughs> as it as it goes to the point where you get really confused about how it could possibly be um be happening and it's it's uh yeah it's fascinating it 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 uh i i really liked this i thought i thought that it was great um and I loved the blurring of reality and fantasy in this. It's a weird – afterward, my wife said, so how was that? And I said, it's a weird movie. And she said, it looked weird. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but it's really good. It's really good. Really good. I was really moved by it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially – and what I love about the movie is how, as you said, it opens up with with the misdirect. But I, I will say that it provides a beautiful bracketing moment towards the end of the movie where um, she it sums ends, up yeah. – it's, well, it's bookends, and she sums up she sums up what you come to realize about her and about the whole narrative, and then she zooms off into space. And I thought, what a beautiful metaphor for the end of the twentieth century, because this movie I, I feel like is sort of a love letter to the people of Japan for everything they had to live through in the twentieth century and the things that they may have relied on to keep them going. And when the journey becomes much more interesting than the destination, and and you become much more optimistic about the future simply because you have a way to get there. So I, I was just incredibly moved by this movie. Yeah, the, the, one of the reasons I, I, I picked this as such a, uh, a nice connection with Perfect Blue is all these things that we said are the same, that the female lead, mm-hmm. the mixing of reality and, and the, you know, film or fantasy or, or fiction and stuff like that seems to be just like, oh, well, this is, you know, 
two sides of the same coin, but they're so incredibly different in tone. Like this is yeah. so much more playful and has an entirely different emotional feel, despite doing so many of the same things the other thing does in mixing uh, together uh, her her work as an actress with her life. Yes. Uh, so in, in Perfect Blue, she's reading lines in the story that could very well be talking about either what her actual life is or what we think maybe is, you know, the, the you know we can't tell, is she talking about her real life or her fantasy life or maybe her fantasy life is her real life? And it seems so on the nose, right? And in here, in this movie, they do they do the same thing where she's in these movies, she's playing, you know, a geisha girl, she's playing a warrior princess, she's playing whatever she's playing. And the lines that she's read, you know, because you've been listening to her retell her life, are just mm-hmm. entirely directly about her life. And you're like, yes. well, how, how could the lines in the movies be directly about her life? And I think that is a wonderful way to show what it feels like to be an actor because you know, you know, actors are always drawing on emotions in their own life or whatever. And yeah, they don't—they're not saying lines that are that are like, you know, when my father left me when I was a child. Like, if that line is in the movie, they don't say it. But that's what it feels like to them. So when we see her speaking these lines, like everything is subtext in this movie because the text is not the text is not the text, right? Uh, and sometimes it seems like almost kind of corny. We're like, oh, there wouldn't be a line in the movie that so directly addresses the thing that she's going through in her life right now. But that's what it feels like if you're channeling those emotions into an acting performance. Uh, and of course, we're only shown selected lines from it, and and then right. like they just they just keep turning the crank to say, okay, are you still with us? Well, we'll turn even farther. You still with us now? What about this? What about this? And you know, he's saving her in the movies, and at some point, there's like danger in the movie, and you're worried about her, and you're like, wait a second, this is a movie. It's not. She's not actually in danger, right? And like her, you know, the painter guy she's chasing after is like inside the movie, but not really. And you know, is she telling a story about her own life, real life in a train accident, or is this a train accident in a movie? And, right. And when uh, they get out of the train because they're surrounded, they're then in feudal Japan, right? So there's that <laughs> yeah. moment too of like, whoa, what is? Did she really? Did she go through a portal and step backward in time? Did the mo- Is it a science fiction movie that she's making, <laughs> or is this just another movie that happened a little bit later? But the, but but the whole point of this movie is about the flexibility of memory and how sometimes memory makes things feel more real to you than what actually happened at the time. And so over time, your story of what happened and the story of your feelings becomes the truth. Well, it's also about how film is our film is our memory in some ways and yeah. film represents reality. Uh, it, it, and, and then the next step beyond that is it's also about, like you said, the history of 20th century Japan and the way the movies, the movies that she makes reflect yeah. that right, right to the point where when she starts, it's uh, you know, they're shooting a movie in China as uh, there's a nationalistic, you know, J- Japanese campaign to in China and they've taken over portions of China pre-World War II. It's when they refer to as Manchuria that brought me up for a moment. Oh my God, that's right. And then, and then you start thinking about the rape of Nanking and how Mm -hmm. for ordinary Japanese citizens, they'd know nothing about this. And, and their perspective would be completely different, which is, Oh, we have to make booster films and we have to support the troops. And right. And the the Chinese who are desperately fighting to keep these people out are are seen as these savages as opposed to... uh... Although she's chasing a hippie painter who is (laughs) anti-war. Yes, To be fair. Or what passes for a hippie in 1930s Japan. A revolutionary. This this, this is one of the... uh, the, the other com- a very common theme in anime and how could it not be and and it's represented better in this movie than than perfect blue uh so this movie has uh building shaking events that punctuate the movie at at, at specific mm-hmm. moments man- both man made and earthquakes right. you know, japan earthquakes. is on fault lines you know and everything like that. but then you've got the, the world war 2 firebombing and all that other stuff right and 
how it's how can any art made by Japan post World War Two not be about like at the very very bottom like not have like the war atomic bombs like that is such an incredible theme throughout all of anime and it's like it it's kind of you know cliche like oh you know those japanese every one of their movies is about nuclear bombs well they did have the, two of their well, cities Jesus blown up Christ, by atomic bombs like, like yeah, it, it's like saying you know the expect it's like saying all of western <laughs> literature is like uh, so much stuff based on the bible it's so trite it's like well <laughs> you know there's, there's a reason for that like it's 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 such a, a theme in the movies, and this is this is one that uses those themes with with the earthquakes and and you know all the war. Fifteen to twenty years from now, someone's going to go back and go, "Wow, a lot of American pop culture was really obsessing over terrorists <laughs> and, secret, and secret betrayals Boring. and buildings falling down." And, and and wow, can't they get over that? Yeah. I mean, come on, you were the yeah. only nation on the planet to get nuked. Yeah, and and I feel like this this movie is about it in in a in a beautiful and subtle way, like making like because it's about her personal like these these earthquakes and events have to do with like one one happens at the end of the movie that ends up sending her into the hospital. There's the one that that in the beginning that interrupts the the what's his name uh, Genya from from watching the uh, the movie. Uh, there's there's right. the young version of him saving her in the earthquake that sort of ends her career when she loses the key, right? And fall, uh, the light lighting break falls on her. There's the actual total destruction of the studio by construction equipment. There's right. the destruction of the studio by firebombing by, you know, U.S. bombers. Uh, that theme, which is, you know, repeated in this movie several different times, kind of a little, like, I feel like this movie gets away with so much that would be corny or uh, ham-fisted because it's just so good-natured and fun. And they're like, we're just going to feel these emotions together and we're not going to take anything too seriously, but, but there is real deep emotion. Like, it's not... It's not wacky and silly. It just it just strikes the right balance, and that's why I feel like it it carries you with it to get that big payoff at the end when she you know goes off into into a hyperspace. Tony is still out there. I'm still here. What what did you think? Um, I guess I I did not like this movie as much as John. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, I I've only seen it once, um, and that was today. So maybe it will be different when I revisit it. Um, I, I mean, I, I think I picked up on a lot of it, but perhaps some of it, um, you know, I was missed by. And I, I think I particularly, I did not like kind of the insertion of um, the filmmakers or and, and the, you know, his cameraman kind of into their, I don't know, that, that didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um like they they did that, and I was like, is, "Are they going to keep doing this? Because I don't I don't wow. like that mechanic." <laughs> well, that's going to turn um, you off from the movie. Yeah, then. and they kind of and I was you know, and they they like I kind of liked the when they went to the scene that was kind of from his perspective, right? And and he was talking, you know, where we saw him his mini career um, with the the studio. But there, were, I think it was especially kind of the secondary character of the of the cameraman who was really kind of just there, kind of for comedic purpose, kind of slapsticky comedic purposes that really kind of, that, that broke that for me. I didn't um, love the cameraman. Well, he's, he's a definitely a type in anime. The, the uh, yeah, disinterested the gr- uh, assistant, you know, salaryman, you yeah. know, too cool yeah. for school kind of thing. But like they bring him around at the end too, because he is a, an anime caricature, which you may not know if you don't watch a lot of anime, but then by the end of the movie, he's actually interested in her as they're driving to the yes. hospital. He's, he has come around like you see a, finally a crack in that cynical kind of, Oh, do we have to be here doing this thing? Like, you know what I mean? And you know, it's they're both they're both characters. Like the guy is so enthusiastic, mm-hmm. and he loves uh, you know the, his favorite actress. And like, but I mean, you, you you either buy into that or you don't. But it's this is that this is that kind of movie. It's the kind of movie mm-hmm. that it, you know is going to be over the top, and it's going to do corny things, and it's going to do ham fisted things. And you either, you either 
you either buy it or you don't. And I've shown this is the movie I actually have recommended to a lot of people who say they're not into anime. And some people it just completely bounces off and it's just too weird. But other people, it, it if it catches you, you're doomed because it knows exactly where it's going to take you and it brings you straight through and pops you out the other side. And uh, of, of all the anime movies I have, this is the most likely one to cause people to be crying at the end of it, which is some, saying mm-hmm. something from, uh, you know, anime tends not to have that reputation. But this movie uh, of all the ones in my collection can actually do it. But if but if it, if you don't let it in or if it doesn't it doesn't grab you that's not going to happen and it's just going to be this weird movie where nothing happens. I mean, I, I found it touching, but I think yeah, I, I don't think I was grabbed. Um, and it, I guess I thought Perfect Blue was uh, perhaps better, but I I, I guess I. Well, there's certainly more to grab you in Perfect Blue. Yes. Like it's it's more. It is it's definitely like it, it. Nothing happens in Millennium Actress. Something happens in Perfect Blue. Like very <laughs> little. Uh, you know, it's the story of a. And life, I think but, I know. I think I caught on to pretty early on that you know. That it wasn't gonna, you know, there wasn't gonna be like a, a twist or, or you know, there there wasn't so much gonna be like a point of tension that was gonna no know, no murder really yeah there was no murder <laughs> you know I I kind of figured that other than you know, the hippie you know in that you know a few million people being, in Japan but you know she's being interviewed in her old age probably like you know the revolutionary is not hanging out in her backyard or is gonna walk <laughs> just as, have you met just my gardener like, well see that's yeah. the thing if this movie catches you like people will find themselves like. Like, you know, she's not going to see that guy again, but you'll occasionally like find yourself hoping, you know, like that it could happen. But like it'll it'll suck. It'll suck you into it. Like the documentary filmmaker is, is, you know, his long lost son or something. Right. Or or just like the story of they finally met and they went away. No, she never saw him again. and He was killed. (laughs) He was actually died. No, it's 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 a better story than all of that. Uh, there were just parts of it that didn't grab me, and you know, I'll, I'll rewatch it. I'll, I'll, I won't wait as long as it. T- I waited to rewatch Perfect Blue, um, but maybe it'll be different. You have to be in the mood for both of these movies, and definitely for this one, you have to be kind they of were, in a, you know in they a, were assigned reading. That was the problem. Uh, you have uh, to be in a chill yeah, mood. Good, for, I did what my teacher told me to do. I'll tell you, watching watching them on an iPad while you're flying to your vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, great that's the time preferred to way to do it. it. Yeah, God, I did. Did not take the recommended dosage, I guess. Yeah. So, so the animation mm-hmm. style in this movie again very similar to Perfect Blue, mm-hmm. kind of a realistic style. But if you look closer, not really realistic. But I thought yeah. like the if if they have you know what are the Oscars for like you know costume design and set mm-hmm. decoration and stuff like the period the the ability to capture these different periods just like even just like the the way uh, what's her name uh, Chiyoko is drawn from like as a child to to sort of a young ingenue to a more seasoned actress right. her hairstyles her clothes how she carries herself her demeanor. The surroundings, everything about it is just beautiful. The, the and whole, I thought that you know, was a, that was kind of an element that worked particularly well as an animation, right? I mean, if they'd yes. done that as a live action, you'd have three they, distinct you know, they, actors and all of that, and instead they're able to age her. Yeah, and even with makeup and things like that, it wouldn't kind of have felt the same, especially when they were doing all the things with the kind of quick cutting back and forth between the different um, eras toward the end. I mean, yeah. that that really wouldn't have worked, right? Because that can take you out of it, and and a yeah, lot of people it say would like been distracting. In, in great movies that like you know if you can you can pause a great movie and like what you see up on the screen that could be a work of art well you know mm-hmm. animation is literally that it's like you know in the best case it's 24 beautifully drawn pictures every second and i i this is one of the reasons that i don't know I, I, we should talk about why i don't like comic books on a different podcast maybe some other time <laughs> oh, but no but uh, Merlin Mando. you know like there are the motion and fluidity of these drawings that like it's a step above of having not just one drawing but a series of them and i and i feel like each one of any frame from this movie you know is just so beautifully realized not because it's very complicated they're simple backgrounds they're you know there's a painting and there's some cells over like if you know all the tricks like it's not 
It's not, you know, it's not like Studio Ghibli where you realize these poor suckers, some guy spent like a year doing that background. It's going to be on the screen for three seconds. And, that you know, these are made more cheaply than those those big budget movies. But uh, there's still enough artistry in the way they draw these characters and the surroundings and how they move and, and everything that, you know, I, I just appreciate that. I appreciate that more than I would uh, a great live action movie. As much as I love live action movies, sometimes I feel like when I'm watching an animated movie, that that's like the pinnacle of, of moving pictures is when someone draws every single one of them. This was, yeah. I, so I, I really did. I really did like it. Um, uh, millennium actress and, and uh, was surprised. And I did get fished in by the opening where I'm watching the weird sci-fi moon base movie <laughs> that turns out to be her last, her last film. And I love the echoes of uh, real life actors and actresses. I know this is apparently based on a, on a, uh, on a Japanese actress, but there are echoes of this in a lot of actors of this generation where their lives span sort of like early days of film. And then, you know, inevitably there are those sort of embarrassing period pieces at the end of their career. Um, and, and the moon base movie is obviously hers. And yet in the end, it becomes this really touching moment because it's representing her, you know, the end of her life. Um, and so, yeah, I, I thought it was great. I, I, I don't have as much to say about it, I guess, as the other one, just because I, I, I really liked it, and I liked how the the um it kept me off balance with the uh, reality versus fantasy all kind of uh, rolling together, and in the end, it was all about her life and and uh, whether it was in her life or in her films, it was all about her life. Yeah, and the reason you have to watch these in this order is because you want to end with the feeling that you have at the end of Millennium Actress, even though Perfect Blue has more or less a happy ending. You don't want that to be like you know, Agreed. the final, the final taste in your mouth is this is like, I don't want that to be the last thing I watch for anything. It, it was perfect, know? John, because I watched millennium actress and I had that feeling. And then I stepped off the plane and I was in Hawaii for eight days. And then you watch perfect blue and you're back to work. And I stepped, I stepped off the plane and it was 20 degrees colder and in California in February. So maybe it worked for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least, at least you got millennium actress to send you off into Hawaii. Yeah. That was, that was great. Any other final thoughts about, uh, about Millennium Actress before we wrap up? That's actually the one I would show to my husband. Oh, yeah, he'd like it. Yeah, I think you would. Like I, it. I think you would. I think this is the one you show to people who don't get anime. If you're just tuning in, this you're <laughs> listening to the What Will We Show Phil podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sequel to Lex Hasn't Seen It. Um, yes. Yeah, this this I, I think I think you would like it because uh, there's the whole you know period film history of the 20th century seen through the lives of somebody of you know of the people who lived through it and you know there's a lot of interesting stuff here that that's about it's not just a character study and it's not just about japan and it's not just about uh the 20th century and and but it's about all those things and it's it's uh i like i like the ambition of that too that this is a, a an animated feature that is um you know about a lot of things that maybe are told better as animation, but are not things we traditionally expect from animation. And, and the thing is, I think this this story would never get greenlit in Hollywood because, at its root, it's about a, a young girl who forms a, a, an early attachment to this man that she's never going to see again, pines over him her whole life, uh, and it turns out he's actually dead. And like, like, I mean, there's nothing like this story yeah, itself is, is so yeah. just like. Nothing happens. It's silly. If you look at it objectively, you're like, and she's well, okay why, with it. Why, why is she whining about this? It's not unrealistic. An adult would get over it, like whatever. But that's not like anime wants to. A lot of Japanese animation wants to get at the heart of like the emotional truth, not so much the intellectual truth. And 
if you watch the movie and look at it, how she gets married to like that kind of, you know, lame studio head son guy, she falls into that marriage and kind of goes into the normal life. It's, it's, it's putting the inner, the inner emotional life of, that a lot of people have is on the outside. And then the normal life that people have on the outside is on the inside in this movie. You know what I mean? So from her perspective, she's always that little girl chasing after that guy. But on the outside, she's an act, famous actress. She's married to this guy. They have a normal life. She finds mm-hmm. out he was hiding the key on her. So it's kind of like a betrayal or whatever. But I don't think anyone would make this story. And then all the layers you're talking about with the historical things and stuff like that, that would just be too, you know, too out in the ether. Like, it's never going to sell. You can never make this. And even, even in the world of anime, this movie is not... I don't know how well known it is. Like, it's not easy to find. They didn't even make an English dub of this movie, I don't think. Like, it's not even popular enough they're even going to bother to do that. So it is kind of like art house, froofy, uh, you know, it's not it's not mainstream. But this is exactly the kind of movie that, that I like for my anime, which is why when I, I, I'm, I don't claim that I am a, you know, an anime fan, because most people's definition of what that means is, oh, well, you like popular series popular series popular series i'm like actually i don't like any of those and uh, you know, i like these weird movies uh but i really like the weird movies i like i have a pretty narrow subgenre of anime i like and most of it is is um would this be out of place in a william gibson universe and uh <laughs> well serial experiment lane is about virtual reality and mm-hmm. identity and then you've got um ghost in the shell where it's the same thing it's the it's the thin line between cyborg and human and uh it, it all goes back to this very 1980s 1990s uh what are the wither the boundaries of humanity thing but other than that i'm, I'm i want to thank you john for broadening my horizons with millennium actress because i doubt i would have discovered it on my own and i really liked it and do do you for you jason now having seen two movies by this one guy uh yeah would you would you seek out more work by the same person in the same way that, like, you watch a J.J. Abrams thing? You're like, oh, that J.J. Abrams guy. He, I love those like... lens flares. Man, they're good. <laughs> yeah, right. No, well, no, this is, I'm up to, I'm up to two um, now because I've seen, I, I have two anime directors I've seen now because there's Miyazaki and now Satoshi Khan. Yes, I would watch his other movies. Absolutely. Too bad he's dead and can't make any more, Jason. Yes, but there's papri- Paprika, right? All because of you. No, yes, I killed him. It's not actually your fault. <laughs> no, I did not give him pancreatic yeah, cancer. Yeah, unfortunately, I think these are his two best. But ah, you know, so you start at the top. All right, that's that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, yeah, I think this was I think this was uh, great. I appreciate uh, I appreciate the suggestions. You're going to have to pick something else for us to watch again. Well, then we're going to, you know, this is the beginner class. Ah, we're going to go anime into... Anime 101 with yeah. Professor Syracuse. Right. We have to... Now, we, now we're, you know, Perfect Blue is a little bit challenging to get you off balance, but now we'll go maybe into... And what challenging means is stuff you're less likely to like. <laughs> <So> <laughs> don't get all excited by it. Yeah. Well, it's the weed out course. You know? yeah. yeah. It's like organic Make sure, make sure you're serious. That's right. And then after that, it's all blue skies, but you got to get the, the tough sledding mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, we'll watch Fruits Basket over and over again. So, so we should talk about um, we should talk about where we could where people could get these if they're interested in watching them. Um, uh, my understanding is that they're both available. They seem to not be available digitally, um, you know, as a as a stream, but they seem to both be available uh, on DVD. Is that right, John? Yes, I, I've look as you might imagine. I've been, or maybe you don't imagine. I've been looking for Blu-ray versions of all the movies that I really love, and these are among them. And I cannot find. I mean, you can find illegal Blu-rays of like Chinese things with Russian subtitles that are like probably just Blu-ray <laughs> versions of the of DVD. A DVD. Yeah, yeah. Terrible, like with no official 
Region 1 Blu-ray release, to my knowledge, but anyone feel free to correct me, but you, I think you can still get the Region 1 DVDs of both of these. That's what I have. I have Perfect Blue, copy. Amazon claims there is a real import Blu-ray. Yeah, I know, but I, when I see that, I think... Yes, it's probably mm. imported, and yes, it's probably a Blu-ray, but... It's real, it's in a box and everything. <laughs> right. it's, yeah. it's not... It, is it produced by the studio that owns the rights yeah, to this movie? Yeah, that's a good question. Did yeah, they remaster the it? Yeah. Is it, you know... So It's I, really hard to tell what that stuff yeah, is. We read the comments on it, and they're like, this looks the same as the DVD. Back in my it. day, we had to walk and get bootleg anime on VHS that had been subtitled by... Yeah. Second year Japanese majors, and it was hard to read. And we liked it that way. Oh, I have I have my share of that as well. By the way, the one thing that's going to stick with me more than anything else from uh, from Perfect Blue is going to be that moment where her uh, her doppelganger suddenly is Rumi, who is uh, who is plump. <laughs> Yep. At, mm-hmm. Whereas Marima is clothes, skinny, though, but she's wearing them. that same that same kind of schoolgirl on stage outfit. Boy, that is a hilarious moment where it's like ah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> she's crazy. The depredations of aging it. insanity. <laughs> she's wearing the outfit. It doesn't fit her. She's cra- She's gone mad. Uh, that's uh, that was a really funny moment. All right, well, John, you did it to us. You made us watch anime, as promised. Enriching your lives, Jason. I appreciate it. I, I enjoyed it. I I I have no complaints. I I enjoyed when when. Uh, you force fed me my diet of uh, Miyazaki movies I hadn't seen either. It's good. It, it helps to have a guide, honestly. And I said this on our Miyazaki episodes too. Something like anime, which there are is the huge fan culture of, and there are a million different things to watch, and it's kind of impenetrable. It's very hard to figure out what to watch and where to start, and how you know what things. You get the sense almost that you're either you're either in all the way or you shouldn't go in, and that's wrong because. In reality, any genre is going to have its great material and its good material and its mediocre material. And I, I love to sample the great. And I may not get the appreciation of somebody who's seen it all and seen the terrible stuff and knows all the tropes and all of that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't 10 or 20 great films and you know 5 or 10 great TV series that are worth watching even if you're an outsider like me. So it's been fun to, to dip into it with these. Remember, remember, you're saying this then when you get your next assignment. <laughs> this line for my next assignment for the when we're, when we're uh, when it, when Anime 102 comes along. Yeah, that's the weed out course. Tony says that's when I 201. Get, I think 201. Really, oh, we're gonna really go to upper get, division. Yeah. Oh, damn. we're, we're gonna ask a lot more up. of you, Jason. Yeah, wow. the the homework you know, gets. You're gonna have to actually it's, do the it's reading. It's not open book anymore, Jason. Oh man, that's right. Yeah. There'll be five papers this semester. I don't even read Japanese. It's okay. I'll just play cham songs in the background, and it'll keep me awake because yeah. it's like injecting sugar right into your veins. All right. Well, this is great. We will do more of this down the road once John chooses what to assign to us, inflict on us. It's his. It's his decision. He's in charge. He's the boss. He makes the rules. We just follow. We're just puppets. That's we dance, <laughs> dance for John, and watch his movies. We dance to cham. Yes, that's right. <laughs> C-H-A-M, all capital letters, exclamation point. So until next time, I'd like to thank my guests, my fellow students. Lisa Schmeiser, great to have you on as always. It was so much fun. Thank you. Yeah, this was great. And Tony Sindelar. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming back and watching all these movies. Anytime. And Professor Syracusa, um, would you like to have the last word? I'm proud to have all of you as my students, uh, but be aware this course will be graded on a curve, so... 
<laughs> Only one person's getting an A. Exactly. It's ah! not Fine, gonna, I'm proud it's of gonna be you, Lisa. I'm more proud of some. It's gonna it's, it's gonna gonna be Lisa. Uh, until next time on the incomparable, I am hopefully the B student, Jason Snell, signing off. See you next time. Da 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 da